Hello, and welcome to the Matthew Clark Interviews podcast, where we sit down with the industry's key figures. Today, we're talking to James Downs, owner and vineyard manager at Shannon Vineyards, situated in a beautiful Algin Valley, with mountains on their western boundary and a peninsula dam forming the eastern boundary. The Elgin Valley has long been regarded as the apple and pear centre of South Africa, but now is some of the country's most highly regarded winemakers establishing vineyards in the area, testament to its obvious winemaking potential. Thank you so much for having me out here today, James. It's a, it's a beautiful view, it's absolutely stunning, and a bit of sunshine, so that's uh, very nice. It's a good thing, yeah. Um, now a couple of questions just to start. Um, it's quite a brotherly endeavour here at Shannon because yourself and, and Stuart work quite closely together. Um, so you're looking after the vineyard and Stuart focuses on marketing. What is it like working with your brother? Uh, quite easy actually because I'm the earth child and Stuart's the marketeer. Uh, it's, it's amazing in agriculture the the eldest firstborn son is always the the taller, better-looking older brother, and um, is always normally made the face of the business in terms of selling the produce, uh, and in this case, wine. And the the second is always the shorter, boarding one that the family hides in amongst the orchards or the vineyards, which is me. So I'm like the kind of Danny Danito look-alike, and um, don't leave the farm much. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'm not great at traveling. I'm not great at leaving the farm. Um, and Stuart is brilliant at selling fridges to Eskimos, it's got the gift of the gab, so it's, it's a very good combination. Uh, it's always lots of fun when we do trade shows together because we have a lot of banter. Um, so yeah, it's an absolute pleasure, it's lots of fun. Yeah, you don't see him too often. No, he, he doesn't live on the farm, thank goodness, because mm. <laughs> he's not a farmer, he's a marketeer. Let's say no more because I'm sure quite a few marketeers are listening to this. Um, so yeah, no, Stu, Stu pays his golf. Um, I do a lot of fishing on the farm, um, but no, he needs to be close to market. It works that he's in some sort of ways closer to the airport, so he's literally 45 minutes away from um, flying around the world. And I'm on the farm and amongst where it all happens. Yeah, fair enough. I think the, the great like uniting factor between the two would be the passion of really maximizing the potential of the Elgin Valley, uh, where we are right now. What is it that you really see in the region that gives you this, this great relief of producing such amazing wines? Um, I think people tend to forget that we have a an historic um, wine production dating back many years and if you go back to maps from the 1905, 1920s there's always a small vineyard parcel on a farm. Um, the last kind of like semi-commercial vineyards were pulled out in the 60s, 70s for apples my our father was um, trained in viticulture as a young man and wanted to get a, a job on a, on a wine farm get a job on an apple farm and born and bred in the Elgin Valley we've always had this firm belief that Elgin has the goods to produce top quality wine so when neighbors and friends started um, getting involved in wine production and funny enough on another property my father planted vineyards back in 1978 and a very well-known winemaker bought those grapes and made fantastic wines from those Elgin grapes. Um, we knew the how, uh, the question was where and when, and um, we just needed the right opportunity to arise for that to happen, um, which happened in 1997 when we bought this property. Mm -hmm. Realizing it was, it was great for apples and pears, but had a top section to the farm, it would be fantastic for wine production. 
I'd say about 15 years ago, vineyards were probably leading with uh, infrared technology and mapping. Uh, I think the tide has now turned and the apple and pear industry is now leading from a technological perspective. And because we touch both, um, we can pull from apples and pears and utilize that in vineyards. So we're doing some stuff in vineyards now that the vineyard guys don't know about because mm-hmm. they don't happen to have apples and pears and they're not exposed to that information. Yeah. So it's a real win-win scenario and also having the infrastructure for both. Mm-hmm. Right, so looking at specifically here, the mist, we, we briefly spoke about it earlier today. Um, I understand that that is really a key element um, to, to the work here. Can you talk a little bit about the effects of this? Yeah, the, the mist, obviously it's symbolised in our branding, um, the swirl in our logo. logo. And um, what the mist represents is fundamentally diurnal variation. And we get that diurnal variation expressed as mist where we have a, a drop in air temperature to such an extent where it is... Uh, much cooler than the water temperature in the Palmer River watercourse which runs down our eastern boundary and that warm water then um, releases this mist effect during the early hours of the morning from four till six o'clock so when you arrive at work at the office at quarter past six in the morning the entire eastern boundary of the farm is covered in, in this mist and the reason why we then have diurnal variation is because we have altitude um, up being up in the mountain range the Elgin mountain range and um, proximity to the ocean as well. So we, we are warmed up during the day, um, bike being close to the coast. We have the southeasterly prevailing summer wind, um, which brings in uh, warmth but not heat, dries out the vineyards, but then the altitude at night creates um, this effect of downhill variation, which is amplified by the watercourse drawing the cold air down from the mountain range, um, which all kind of like congregates where we are in the Elgin Valley. And uh, on many mornings, um, you arrive to work in this romantic environment um, surrounded by mist. This is South Africa's first uh, UNESCO protected region containing hundreds of, of unique plant species. I understand conservation and the connection with nature plays a really, really a key role here. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the big thing about the biosphere is, um, I'd say the key word is, is diversity biodiversity it's a bit of a catchphrase at the moment and what makes this unique uh, this biosphere unique is that we have both a an agricultural area falling within it we have light industrial which is parts of the the Elwyn town um, and then we have buffer which is the boundary area of the agriculture and the biosphere and then we have a core zone in the middle of the biosphere which is completely untouched um, natural vegetation and and the interaction between nature conservation and commercial agriculture has really led to this belief that one needs to maintain a biodiversity in your patch of dirt your farm um, to engage with as many bugs and insects and animals and plants as possible and a lot of what we do um, Viticulturally and also the gas of pomology in the, in, the, in the orchards is to maintain this uh, abundance of, of biodiversity. Um, we feed the soils to feed the micronutrients, to feed um, the vines, etc. Uh, we try and stay clear of monocultures as such, which is an old commercial pra- um, practice. Mm-hmm. So besides, um, you know, all of these these plant species, all of the, the vegetation around here. 
Um, there's a lot of local wildlife as well. Do you have many run-ins with, with this local wildlife? Because you've got porcupines, cape foxes, baboons even. Um, I had a cape fox as a pet and he loved boiled chicken and rice, in, with turmeric rice, yellow rice. Um, so I had him as a pet for about a year. Uh, and our local baboon troop, we've actually got two. One's 65 strong and the other one's about 25 to 30 strong. They're apex predators, so they're very important in um, expressing the health of our, our environment and such that the day that the baboons disappear is the day that something has gone wrong where the environment isn't able to sustain the healthy population of baboons. Mm -hmm. It's the same with lynx. It's the same with, um, we have a very common snake here called the puff adder snake. It's like a rattlesnake. Uh, we had our most abundant summer has been about has been 24 uh, puff adders in one season and they feed on frogs and frogs are the best indicators for water quality being amphibian they obviously if the water quality dips um, they die off very quickly so the more snakes we have the more frogs we have the better water quality is. so that's the same with the baboons the more healthy the baboon troop the better the generic overall environment is so it's a very important environmental indicator for us the health mm -hmm. of our apex predators yeah so um now without um fermentation obviously you won't live wine you can have amazing grapes but you'll need to actually make the wine as well and i believe that you work with um a husband and wife winemaking team so we've got a brother connection as well as a husband and wife uh, connection so gordon and uh, nadia newton johnson produce your wines how does the relationship between the vineyard and the cellar work? Well, I think taking the step back, they're also a family business. So they've also got a, an old man that's been in the industry for, for Yonks for 100 years plus, no, I mean, for 30, 40 years. Um, Bevan, Gordon's older brother, is also head of marketing. So he's also the, the blue-eyed surfer boy. Um, and I can say it because <laughs> it's a, we speak the same language. And then Gordy is the earth child, he's like me. So he's also in the vineyards, in the cellar. Um, we focus on core production, we speak the same language. And then added to that, we have the benefit of the, the yin and the yang, um, having husband and wife in the cellar. Gordy's more artistic, Nadia's more science-based and um, uh, really very diligent in record keeping. Uh, and it's amazing seeing them operate in the barrel cellar. I sit in on all the the blending exercises to sign off the final blends and it's just amazing to witness uh, the two of them working together um, and myself as the viticulturist creating a point of reference from where the fruit came from to put the final wines together mm -hmm. so it's a it's a very successful partnership and we've been working together since 2003 I think your, your wines really have you know a, a sense of place um, here in, in, uh, in the Elgin Valley now if someone is unfamiliar with the Algon Valley and its wines, how would you describe the region and, and what to expect in the wines from here? Elgin is, is internationally known as being the fruit basket of South Africa. So the main emphasis there would have been apples and pears. And um, our fruit is internationally recognized for the purity of fruit expression. So clean, fresh fruit. And that stems true with the wine varieties we have here. I think the main core focus is um, is really capturing that fruit expression in bottle. And then obviously on the back of it being cool climate. So low alcohol, 
um, a more of a mineral stone, whetstone kind of expression. Uh, good natural acidities. The wines have great aging potential. They're not going to be your big blockbuster showy styles of wine. We tend to veer away from uh, a high percentage of new oak. And in doing so, we, we try to put Elgin first. Um, minimal intervention in the cellar to really maximize the fruit expression coming from the vineyard. A lot of work's done in the vineyard to make sure we deliver top quality fruit to the, to the, to the team in the cellar and we keep it as authentic as possible. Mm-hmm. So we've got two white wines from, from Shannon, the Semillon as well as the Century Peak Sauvignon Blanc. Could you tell us a little bit about these two wines? Um, when we planted our Sauvignon Blanc, we planted both Bordeaux clones and Loire stroke Sancerre clones and in making our first vintages we realized that our style of Sauvignon Blanc was more Bordeaux style if one can put that way so we've always then on the back of that added a component of Semior to our Sauvignon Blanc known as the Sanctuary Peak and the reason why it's named Sanctuary Peak is really to give emphasis to the fact that it's not your everyday Sauvignon Blanc the idea by having a backbone of Semior means it's got great aging potential it's going to have a broader palette to it a bit more grunt in structure and um, food friendly over time with great aging potential. A lot of Sauvignon Blancs produced these days are for mass production, quick consumption, quaffing wines and we're a little bit more, more serious about our product. Mm-hmm. And then the Semillon itself, um, it was planted to work with the Sauvignon Blanc um, and in 2010 we had some juice left over and did a single bottling of the Sem. And all our wine-making friends, uh, it was the go-to wine at barbecues. We knew, onto, we knew we were onto a good thing. And we have since then produced about 800 cases a year, mm. which is very different to the rest of the semiors from, El- from South Africa, sorry, yeah. um, which are from warmer regions. So mm-hmm. that's a point of, of differentiation between the rest of South African semiors and our semi. Yeah, really reflecting the cooler climate. Yeah. So what about the reds? We've got um, the Shannon Merlot, uh, Rock Few Rich Pinot Noir, as well as the Mount Bullet. Um, yeah. So we have we have a generic Pinot and a generic Merlot, um, and then our premiums are the Rock Few Rich Pinot Noir and the Mount Bullet Merlot. Mm-hmm. And when we developed the farm, the big question was: Is it more Pinot or is it more Merlot? Is it more Burgundy or is it more Bordeaux? And you know, in doing due diligence in the in agriculture, you've got to spend 15, 20 years before it actually happens. Mm-hmm. So initially when the vineyards were young, the pinots really stood out. And when the vineyards started getting a bit of uh, maturation and started to settle, the Mount Bullet now is really standing out. Um, and what's nice is that we, because we're true to sense of place, we like to show vintage variation so in some years the, the pinot has a bit of an edge to it some years the, mm-hmm. the mount bullet has the edge mm-hmm. um, it's just a nice talking point and you know if you go to all the great big domains or chateaus uh, you go to, to burgundy to a domain you speak to the 85 year old old man in the corner um, he'll be able to tell you a story about every vintage for the last 40 50 vintages because mm-hmm. they have vintage variation they tell a story and that's yeah. what we're wanting to do with our wines as well mm-hmm. so what do you think with then the future here for, for yourself and, and for Shannon Wines? Uh, good question. The Valley is pushing a lot of Pinot and Shard. Um, we 
obviously have Savion Blanc and Samuel in the ground. It's doing very well. So we'll try and maximize that as much as possible. We are doing a white border blend called Kapal Ban, which we'll be releasing soon on the back of that. We have planted Chardonnay. So we'll have a, a mini Burgundy offering of a Chardonnay Pinot and, and also a border offering of a Sav Sam border white with the Mount Bullet, which is our, our border red. Um, and and work with those four varietals. Um, yeah, I mean it's it's very difficult to crystal ball gaze in the, in the wine industry and, and say what's going to be hot in ten years time. Yeah. We're just going to go with the flow and, and the vineyards will dictate the story. Yeah. Whatever's successful, we'll mm-hmm. we'll roll with. Yeah, still keep on experimenting though yeah. with, with the vineyards. Okay, um, now a final question um, in that case, and this is quite a quite a hard question um, asking about your favorite kid basically, um, but. What would be your favorite wine uh, from the wines you produce and how would you suggest it to be best enjoyed? Yeah, we always ask this question, aren't we? Mm. And it is like comparing to your children. Um, you know, children have their place and and certain children perform better in different uh, environments. So if you've got a child that's great at rugby and there's a rough and tumble and you need somebody to you know hold up the family flag you take your rugby playing son to a rugby match and he does well so if we if, we, if i go to a barbecue with wine making friends and i want to impress my buddies i'll take the mount bullet i know it'll stand up to all their red wines if i'm having a quiet reflective moment um it's like you want to be with one of your children that's quieter and you want to go sit next to the river and and cast a line in the water uh, take a pin and war um so yeah, I think it's it's it depends on the occasion really. Yeah. Um, you can't really pinpoint, and I mean, but that is wine. It, it depends on what you're pairing it food-wise, and um, and on the occasion. Mm. Um, and it's the same with the whites as well. Yeah. Uh, the the Sauvignon Blanc is um, it's more approachable to a wider range of friends. The Samuel is a little bit more academic. Um, so it just depends on 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 the occasion. Fair enough. Well, I think that's um, that's a wrap for us then. Thank you so much for um, having me here today. It's been an absolute uh, amazing day. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. To find out more about Shannon Vineyards, visit the Matthew Gluck website or speak to your account manager. And join us next time when we will be talking to Davide from Salah Moscow.